Medic! Hey guys, welcome back to the Medic Up Podcast. This is going to be episode 7, and I've got my good friend Aaron Dix sitting down with me today. And uh, he's going to talk about the Greenwood Nursing Home fire in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, happened in 2003, and uh, Aaron was the medical incident commander on that call. And he's going to delve into it and talk about um, what was going through his head as the incident unfolded, pearls, pitfalls, lessons learned. Uh, I think it's uh, really good to hear from somebody who can kind of self-reflect at that point in their career. We talk about a bunch of other stuff, too, coming up in EMS, uh, the importance of mentors, our mentors in general, how we came up in EMS through the Exploring Program. We're gonna cover. We're gonna cover a bunch of stuff. This episode runs a little bit long, but I'm extremely, extremely fortunate to have Aaron on the show. Go ahead, give it a listen. Check out the uh, show notes that go along with it. So here we go. All right, all right. So here we are again. Um, and today I've got uh, Aaron Dix, Mr. Aaron Dix, in the uh, in the studio, of all places. Nice and studio. thank you. And uh, we're just going to talk. We're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about him. It's all about all about Aaron today. Um, and not a very exciting topic. No, I think it is. <laughs> um, so we'll start off simple stuff. Tell us about yourself. Um, you're a transplant like me from the north, the northern states. That's it. Yeah. So tell tell us about uh, how you got down here and. Awesome. Yeah. And what, uh, you primarily worked AMR up there. Well, when did you, when did you go to school? When did you go to paramedic school? Uh, so I went to paramedic school in 2000. And, uh, so I had done a traditional bachelor's degree first. Both my parents are PhDs. So there was no real discussion about what to do. I graduated high school, went right to college, got my undergrad and, uh, graduated a semester early so I could get my paramedic, got my paramedic in 2000 and, uh, worked in Hartford for, about 10 years before moving down here. And I was a field training. So I, I'm sorry, I was a field operations supervisor for three and a half years in, in Hartford before moving down here, which was still to this day, probably one of the best jobs I ever had. Um, I worked with some incredible people. My, my mentors were some of the first paramedics in the state of Connecticut. You know, they were, they were all BLS trucks and you had a paramedic North and a paramedic South. And all they did was run calls and, doesn't sound like a violent place, but if you go to the History Channel about gang wars, or on the History Channel, the Los Salidos and the Lion Kings um, bloodied out in the streets of Hartford. My mentors were there, and uh, I learned very quickly what to do, what not to do. Uh, uh, some, some, some of the best medics I've ever worked with. Get that street education. Yeah, and I'll actually tell you, when, there's, there's certain things that I learned that 
you know, people don't understand down there. And, uh, you know, I, I remember, I was at least three-quarter deployed, and I remember falling asleep in the driver's seat. I, I worked nights for a while, and I woke up violently with my face in the parking lot and a boot in my neck. And it was a um, city cop that um, uh, used to be a medic. And he said, don't you ever fucking fall asleep in your truck without locking your door again. <laughs> and then he didn't even help me up. He just got back into his cruiser and drove away. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Lesson taught. Learned right. hard and taught hard and learned <laughs> yeah. quickly. Right. I, I mean, it was stuff like that. You'll never catch me in front of a door. You're, you're, you're not going to. It's, still. It's, still. To this Don't day. even blow it off because it's happy-go-lucky, one of the top ten places right. to live in the country, right? Right. Me and too. East, East, uh, East Hartford cop I was working on that night when he was shot in the head uh, through the door uh, on a noise complaint. Um, uh, I, I've done multiple officers that have been shot from line of duty some really, really violent stuff. And you, you kind of learn from that. I, I, I did a shooting. I showed up on a shooting. I was, um, as a supervisor, it was one of the best jobs. I mean, we, we call them uh, fly cars. So, you know, I had a Ford Explorer and then a Ford, Ford Expedition. And uh, I was, you know, I would listen to the PD frequency because it took so long for us to get a call. If you were listening to the police department or the fire scanner, you could get a jump on the call. Right. We had shots fired at, um, at a, a Hartford sergeant. And uh, so I started heading down to that area, and uh, I got there within a couple of minutes, and they, they filled this kid with wet. They found him coming around, and he was still alive, and they wouldn't let me touch him until they got paper bags on his hands, and nobody had paper bags. I mean, that that is the kind of environment that we, we kind of worked in, is that um, it, it's... You showed up on a shooting. You had a hundred people. I don't. I, when I work down here, I never. I've talked about the paper bags yeah. on calls, and it's like not a thing. Right. Right. And it, where I came from, and again, I didn't come. I did not practice ALS in Philadelphia. Um, in fact, no ALS anywhere. I came down here right out of school, but had been on enough calls as a student and coming up through EMS to know about that and to see it not get done down here. It was always a. You know, just not a not a priority. Right. Yeah. But they didn't care. Uh, they they fired at an officer and the officer returned fire and they were not going to touch that right. guy. I was not allowed near him until they put paper bags on his hands and nobody had paper bags. Uh, but, I mean, you, you learn really quick um, what keeps you safe. Right. And I, I mean, it's it, it's weird because when you when I look back at it, the people that I worked with, which were legends in EMS, weren't phased by it at all. I mean, they they weren't concerned. They didn't right. wear some of them wore vests, and and that's when you listen to them during the game wars, you understand why. Right. It's it's not necessarily that they were scared that somebody was actively going to shoot them. I think it was just the amount of gunfire. Right. The, it's not the one you hear. It's the one you don't right, hear, right, or right. you weren't you, you weren't in tune to. Right. Yeah. You'd show up to it. You'd get called to a shooting. And you're you're <clears> driving <throat> up Blue Hills Avenue and you're kicking up brass. Right. Um, and your your truck's kicking up brass. Right. And and then you know half the time they their buddies took them to the hospital. The other time you, you had a bunch of guys shot. And then once in a while you'd 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 clear the call unfounded only forty five seconds a minute later to get dispatched to a three year old shot in the head by right. random. But, you, you know, it, it's so I, I really think it was just being in the environment, you know, so I, I was never really scared. I mean, we fought all the time. Right. Uh, it, it's in the, the level of street drug was in, intense. Like before I came down here, I didn't understand the concept of giving two milligrams of Narcan to somebody. <laughs> like it blew me out of the water. Right. Like somebody was like, give them two milligrams of Narcan. I was like, we give 0.4. Right. What, what are you doing? Like, 
your job's not to wake them up because they're not going to be happy with you. And most of our guys mixed it with Coke. Right. And you only did that once. You, you, there's two things you only do once if you're a good medic up north, in my opinion. Uh, you intubate a narcotic overdose once. <laughs> <laughs> right? Just once you, you realize what you've done. And then right. it typically it, it reminds you. And then the second is to miss the subtle tachycardia that that a narcotic overdose shouldn't have. Yep. You know, you, you get this 160 heart rate. And you're just concentrating on the fact that he's breathing four times a minute. And you wake him up, and now you've got a guy that's just he's got high the on Tasmanian coke. Tasmanian devil. Yeah, and they they hurt you. They <laughs> right. they fought hard, right. and, and that was just kind of the life down there. Well, that, then then that was the same thing here. for me too. I mean, yeah. I I came from. I remember coming down here in my second year of paramedic school to ride along. Um, I kind of we had set it up where we were going to split the week between uh, Wake County and Greenville County. Mm. And Wake ended up having a lot of students, or they couldn't didn't have a place for us to go, or they couldn't let us stay for more than a day. So we ended up staying here for like a week, like a week of unpaid internship with no skills being collected. And uh, got to ask all the questions I wanted all week and, you know, asked the, uh, at the time, the uh, education coordinator, I said, what's your drug problem like? Because in paramedic school yeah. in Williamsport, right. you'd run right. three or four yeah. overdoses every every right. day right. in the bad – like the, what they would call right. the bad section. And I'm like, well, I'm from Philly. There's – you don't have a bad section. I know what bad sections are. Right. This isn't it. Yeah, th- this is not it. <laughs> right. And then, you know, this, you know, the education coordinator said, well, you know, our, our, our heroin problems just like everyone else's. <laughs> I'm dead serious when I tell you it was two and a half years before I ran my first heroin overdose no. in Greenville County, South <laughs> Carolina. No. And they would, we would wake them up and they would, all they would want to know is where their smokes were so they could get up and walk away. Right. I mean, it was, it, it, I mean, we, we had a, it, it, it was a, I mean, we gave albuterol and Narcan. That's right. all it was. It was asthma and, and overdoses right. and gunshots. And um, it was, it, it was an amazing experience. Um, I learned a lot from doing a lot of things wrong because I didn't work ALS all the time. You know, and I think that's the difference also between the medics down here and up there. And, and, you know, it's, it's no disrespect because I, some of the medics down here are phenomenal, but I think it's a different system because up North, you can't get into medic school. At least when I was there, couldn't get into medic school without being an experienced EMT. Correct. That was the it, same. You weren't allowed. I was the, the last year when I, I started paramedic school in 1998, um, at Hahnemann hospital and you had to have a letter from your yeah. chief or your right. training officer, right. and you had to be a, a practicing EMT for at least one year. Yep. And they really preferred that you were not on the transfer truck. Right. They really wanted you. Right. They didn't care if you were right. volunteer EMT. Yep. They wanted you to have yep. a year under somebody, BLS yep. system, ALS right. system, before you even thought about right. going into it. And it's weird because, you know, now the way colleges are, you can't really do that. You know, the the I didn't finish school there. I took another year or two off, went back, started back in 2000. And in 2000, you could be zero to hero. Yeah. 24 months. That's it. Pay your money. You yeah. don't have to have any experience. A lot of people were like, well, at least they don't have any bad habits. Uh, they also have, they've never had to fight uh, a diabetic. They've never had right. to, right. you know, do right. anything. And you're trying to and, stuff everything in a right. 24 months. And, and, you know, I think that's a lot more than that because it, I, I'm, I'm with you. It, it, it's, it, you, you know, when you, when you take somebody who doesn't even understand, stretcher operations, right. and radio maintenance, and how to think on your feet and how to troubleshoot issues. And then you add pharmacology and EKG and 12 lead and all this other stuff. Right. And of course, you know, when we went to school, we didn't have 12 leads. My first STEMI was a modified nine lead that I caught <laughs> on a life pack 10, you know, that I had learned from, Put it in 
diagnostic mode. And right, you need. have to press and hold record. Hold it, you gotta right, hold it. Right, press and hold it, and then the little REC would pop up. We're old now. Yeah, we are, I know. We're old now. And I feel like I'm posing because my mentors are still there practicing. Right. And and they're old. I'm not. Right. You know, and, and it's, it. but the habits that I picked up, um, I, I learned from them. But, you know, not only that, but, you know, when you got your paramedic card, there was nothing that said you could practice. You had a precept. So when I graduated paramedic school or anybody up there graduated paramedic school, you got stuck back on a truck with an FTO for third. You're, you're sitting in the back of a truck relitigating your entire paramedic experience again for three months to prove to some senior guy that you're not going to make them look bad. So there were plenty of paramedics that could not get cut loose. Right. And I still to this day don't know how my preceptor, Smitty, he, he unfortunately died recently of cancer. Um, but I still don't know why he cut me loose. I was a train wreck. So I came down here. So I was hired right out of school, which at the time was a big deal for this area because the, the service didn't hire more than 10% of new graduates. So I thought I was the man. And on top of that, our school fostered that type of attitude, right. the Williamsport attitude. I'm not embarrassed to say it. People say cocky. I say confident. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, was I terrified on my first ALS shift? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely terrified. Yeah. Um, but I came down here coming from an Explorer program in Pennsylvania at a hospital-based ALS program that that's how medical control, medical command works. Yeah, right. So you got your right. medic and then yep. you were on probation. Yeah. And you were on probation and, and in seven weeks you hoped – to right. have three cardiac arrests yes, that you, you were in to. charge of because right. the medical the medical director right. wanted to speak to you about those three cardiac arrests. <laughs> and he wanted to yeah. speak to you in the room with your partner and right. say, how well did young Christopher do on yeah. that? Right. Well, he screwed the pooch on that yeah. first one, and it didn't seem to get better <laughs> on the second one. The third one, he looked like a first-day EMT, yeah. and the medical director would say, I'll tell you what, I think you need a little the more work. Right. Don't worry about all the other awesome stuff you did. I think you need a little right. more work. Right. right back on probation. And then you continued to petition right. for right. – and it wasn't right. that, it wasn't like, you know, right. you look at like Durham where they say, oh, you're cleared clinically to perform. In Pennsylvania, you were – you have now been given medical command. You now have medical command, which means you get to do what's in your protocol book. I came down here, same educator guy. <laughs> again, you got – you know, I yep. absolutely yep. respect Rasmussen yep. all day. Yep. And I looked into my said, John, I said – um, when do I have to meet with the medical director <laughs> and get my medical command? He goes, aren't you a nationally registered paramedic? I said, well, yeah. He goes, so you have a card in your pocket? I was like, yes, sir. He said, so you need to do ALS on your you know, yep. next shift. And right. I was like, I can, I can do it all? He's like, well, yeah. yeah. Two days of third rider. Two days. Yeah. I was like, I don't know where I am. Right. You <laughs> two know. days to figure out where I'm going. Yeah. Go, two go days to it. figure out your equipment. Here's two the narcotics to key. Out your protocols. Don't lose it. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, again, at the time, 33 pages of protocols. Yeah. Now it's 149. Uh, yeah. Um, right. And, and, you know, and as somebody who in the last year was putting people out there to deal with those first day off the curb yeah. out of school, 149 pages of material. Uh, it's very sobering. Yeah. Um, and to, to still to realize down here, once you graduate and you have that card, you have medical command. It's that's crazy. A, that's a lot of faith right. in somebody that you've right. met, the medical directors right. never met. You, you know, it's it's funny because I remember people that we would not cut loose 
like we were like, no, they're dangerous. And then we would find out that they moved to like Virginia and are practicing as paramedics. Yeah, they're senior crew chiefs. Right. And we're like, how did that happen? Assistant director. Like, right. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? How did they pass precepting? And then I come down here two days later. In fact, I only did one day as a third rider. I come in the next day. They're like, yeah, we're short staffed. Yeah. Now, granted, I was like, sweet. But because, you know, I was experienced and I got tired of being the new guy after another year of Spartanburg being the new guy. So right. I was like, hallelujah, I don't have to be a third. Right. But then I'm like thinking to myself, this is straight stupid. Right. <laughs> this is this, – y'all just took a guy you don't know <laughs> and he's now a second. Right. <laughs> it's in an area he does not know. <laughs> right for 12 hours for 12 right, right. with very with, sick people right and which by the way probably uh you may need to stay for 24 actually 36 because we don't think your relief is coming in right ah the old days <laughs> and you're not going anywhere <laughs> the, good old, the good old days right. the good old days that's funny so yeah it's definitely been a it's been a trip um and it's changed very it's changed it has so it has but you know i think it's it has changed for the better for the most oh, part yeah. what i think what what is concerning me now is that um that there there are no mentors left i i mean they they've all left they've all gone and i think we've lost the middle class is the the way i like to to explain it there there's nobody left to mentor we we've, we've got two year three year medics mentoring brand new people and it, this isn't a mean thing, but it took me a decade before I realized what I was doing. Right. I, and, I, I tend to agree with you on stuff like that. And it's, you know, what's really weird is a couple uh, of the, the other guests, you know, um, OB was in here and I asked, I've been asking them, you know, do you, how, are, how important are mentors and, you know, follow it up with, do you have them? You know, and he's not the only one who said it. He's like, well, you. You're my mentor. I was like, well, I didn't work on the truck with you. Right. I mean, it's really even... hard for me to understand that if I was your mentor, right. what are you getting right. out there? Right. Uh, it, you know. it, it was to the point up, up north, and, and it was very hard to go through it. And now I realize how lucky I was. Right. But I didn't realize there were mentors. What it was was I would do something stupid, and somebody would hear about it, and then they would go to – you know, like Alan, and be like, "Hey, I know your boys with Aaron. Tell him that that's not what he should do again." <laughs> right. That's you know not what right looks like. Right, 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 right. That probably was not good. And Break you know, to him. don't do that again. Yeah. And then you know, I'd be, I'd see Alan coming across the parking lot, and I'd have a big smile on my face, be like, "Hey, what's up, Alan?" He's like, "Don't ever fucking make me." Yeah. Look now again. I have to crush your soul. <laughs> yeah. Can you? I mean, did you not think right before you did that? No. <laughs> But here, it's like nobody is providing feedback. Nobody is following up behind you wow. saying, you don't do that. That's not the way you do things. That's not how you take care of patients. And now if you do that, people get – they get all offended. Yes. And it, it's like all I wanted to do was not embarrass it's, my mentors. It's very personal. Take it very yeah, personal. Right. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I had it was plenty the, of talkings yeah. too on the tailboard of a truck. Right. Um, and at the time, probably was like, whatever, you know, I'm right. Yeah, right. I was not right. Right. Okay. Right. And I can look back. And again, I think when I talk about it a lot, I think, again, same as you. I, I think I originally confused uh, uh, mentors with role models mm -hmm. because, I mean, my role models were forced on me because right. they were my Explorer Post advisors. 
And but they were the ones who wanted the explorer in the truck. They were the ones who were like, let's take advantage of it. Let's get this guy where he needs to go. Right. Let's keep him involved. And right. I, I'm extremely fortunate. I'm very thankful for it. Uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, I always talk to Tim and Jim, the, you know, the first paramedics I ever really met, um, who taught me a ton of stuff before I even stepped foot in EMT school or paramedic school. Absolutely respect them both till this day. And I really don't, you know, I really don't have anybody else that I would consider yeah. uh, a mentor. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, when I have students or I had uh, preceptees or, or trainees, whatever, that's how I would try and model it and say, you know, I'm training my replacement. Yep. I'm, I right. want this person exactly. to be like me because right. those guys wanted me to be like them. Right, right. right. It's not a model of me. Right. Right. It's a model of and a mixture of the six right. people that made me who right. I am. Right, 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 right. And all I hope is that I made them proud. Right. 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 That's all I want. I always want to always want to call and be like, guess what I'm doing right, now? Right, 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 right. Look what uh, yeah, you know. Check it, it out. That that's all. You the, guys helped me get here. Right, right, it, exactly. Um, I, I think it was um, Isaac Newton who said, "If I have seen farther than others, it is only because I have stood on the shoulders of giants." Right. And to to me, if if anybody thinks that I'm a decent paramedic, it is only because of the people who the built people you who up. built me. Right, right. And yeah. I know, I agree with that 100. percent Again, it's really weird how alike we are. Yeah. Um, uh, I think if we were ever on a truck together, it would... I, I don't think it would go well. It would be bad. <laughs> it would be great. I think it would be really good for the patients. It would, it would be phenomenal for the patients. I don't think it would be good for supervisors, <laughs> the general public. The general public, right. Um, the general public. Anybody with a camera phone. But we would take some damn care of patients. Yeah, I, no, no problem. And I there. get, I, I mean, I look forward to it. Yeah. There's nothing that I enjoy more than taking care of patients. All right, we're starting our own fly car service. We need to. We're in. All <laughs> right, so on, and to backtrack, what what brought you to EMS? Like, are you yeah, are that's... you the TV guy? Are you the life changing no. event guy who no, wants no. to give back? Right, right. It it is it is so weird. So a, a couple things. First is um, the. Uh, the town that I worked in, or I lived in, um, developed an explorer's post. So they came to the high school and they said, hey, who here wants to be an EMT explorer? And I'm like, hell yeah. And, you know, and I think the, the you're attracted to things that you're good at, and I'm not good at a lot. And this is an arrogance, but I guess between my ADHD and, <laughs> you know, it, it this lent itself really well, and I couldn't tear myself away from it. You're a, you are an Explorer Post product. I, I was the first Explorer Post. Yeah. How how do I know you for 13 years and not know, not that? know that? Yeah, I absolutely. So again, Nin one one more thing yeah. that's disgusting. 1990, 1994, and it was an it was a paramedic level volunteer service. The paramedics were paid. Everybody else was volunteer, and um, I, I once again just I had people who would lose their shit because I couldn't control myself. <laughs> I mean, because I was so young and I probably drove them crazy, but, but they took the time and, you know, gradually I realized that this was something that I was decent at, that I enjoyed. And it's the only thing I've ever really wanted to do. That's really weird. Again, I believe we may possibly be brothers. Brothers. <laughs> yeah. Did we just become best friends? <laughs> um, no, that's yeah. exactly no, my story. Except a little yeah. bit different. I was in lifeguarding class. No, uh, I was an aquatics director. Awesome. I started off as a lifeguard, and I ran the town pool. Oh, see, I was in a class. I, I oh, was okay. learning. Like, okay. I was 
I was learning lifeguarding from the son of my <laughs> swimming instructor when I was six years old, which right. was weird. Um, but we watched a video during CPR first aid class, American Red Cross, not even the AHA. And uh, everything was Red Cross with lifeguarding. Right. They pulled some dude out of the pool yeah. and he was it wasn't spine injured. Ha ha ha. Gotcha. He was in cardiac arrest. So the local ambulance shows up or they got the AED, whatever. Uh-huh. They dry him off. They pull him out of the pool of water, slap the patches on and shock him. And I went, I want to do, do that. that. <laughs> and and the, the instructor, Andy goes, he's like, well, you're in lifeguarding class. I was like, no, no. No, I'm I want to shock someone. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. And uh, it that's just awesome. happened. They happened to know that the paramedic chief next door at the hospital right. had an Explorer post. Man, that's blah, incredible. blah, 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 blah. They stole me away from Boy Scouting. Thought it was the greatest thing since sliced yeah. bread. I snuck on the ambulance at age 15 instead of 16 yep. with a shiny new CPR card that I got <laughs> from lifeguarding. And uh, was ready to save the world. Yep. Ready to save the That's... world with my first responder training, and it was awesome. Thank I know CPR. Know. I'm here to help. Right. Stop fighting me. Right. Stop fighting. Stop fighting me. It's, that's amazing. That's, yeah. yeah. That is that is how I ended up in EMS. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Cool. So it's not, I never watched TV and was no. like, ooh, emergency. I'm no. a little young for that. Yep. Uh, all the cool shows on TV growing up were the fire shows. Yep. Uh, I remember watching uh, Code Red. That was a good one. Lauren Green was like the fire chief, but it's not me, man. It was really cool to watch the fire guys ride the tailboard. They don't do that anymore. Nope, not anymore. Um, So somebody screwed that up for everybody. (laughs) The only um, the only emergency show that I ever really grew a strong affinity to was NYPD Blue. See, I never watched. That was up past my bed. Yeah, see, that's I have watched every episode at least five or six times. I'm not, you know, I. That is the only thing, but that was I was already doing EMS. I was watching ER. Like, that was a big thing. So <laughs> yeah. when I went to college, and we had a campus EMS group through National right. Collegiate EMS, and uh, we would have our we would have our our staff meetings, whatever they were, our group meetings. Uh, it was either Wednesday or Thursday because that's when ER was on. So we'd go from seven until like eight. That's cool because you got to be out of there, right? Because we got to watch ER, right? All right, and then haha, sucks for you to be on call because you got to watch it in the station. You gotta, <laughs> we can't, we can't catch your drama. Uh, but and then you know as you learned you're like you know, you know hey you're hey. uh holding the learning scope wrong <laughs> you should have called me because right. i know everything that's the reason why i have a really hard time with like something like third watch <laughs> you, you know i i, I, I watch that too I, i've had a really hard time i and you know i only would see little snippets on on, on youtube and you know and i think you you know it's just we've been we've been taught how to do things wrong <laughs> And if we videotaped ourselves and rewatched it, I think a lot of us would change our habits. I'll be killed for that. Oh, my God. But there are so many times, I'm, you know, and it's, it's nothing derogatory. I'm, I'm not that, – that is not what I'm getting at. It's it's just – but when you watch it as a third person on TV, like the world is seeing us. Yep. And you're like, that's not okay. Like that's not – no. <laughs> that's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. Right. Uh, you know, this is real. We're dealing with people. What what are we doing? <laughs> that one show where you could do the crike in the helicopter while you're not looking. That was a good one. Or uh, that Rescue 47 one. That was a good one where he does the handstand on the defibrillator <laughs> to shock the guy in the water so he doesn't. Christ. Like, again, I'm still waiting. on. I don't right. have the balance. The <laughs> strength I can't do it. So I do CrossFit and I can't do a handstand push-up. Right. So <laughs> Never I mean, else. Do one with a defibrillator. Right. So I'm pretty sure that guy's not going to make it for me. Sorry. <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, that's a problem. Awesome. <laughs> All right, good deal. All right, so uh, wow, we really got off there, which I really brought you on to talk about a pretty noteworthy call you ran in Hartford. Yeah, a pretty noteworthy car. And when uh, noteworthy, when I say noteworthy, I mean made national news. It yeah. actually still makes national news, right? Um, because of some of the things that, uh, some of the changes that were an after effect of it, right? Uh, Pretty pretty nasty call. You ended up as an inc- a medical incident commander. Yep. On the uh, the Greenwood Health Center nursing, nursing home, home fire. fire. Yeah. Uh, two thousand and three. February two thousand three. Two thousand three. Uh, about two forty in the morning. Yep. All right. So, yeah. from my research, uh, some young lady, twenty three years old, a resident of this nursing facility with mental health problems and some other health problems was playing with a lighter on her bed, set her bed sheets on fire, yep. and uh, led to one of the worst nursing home disasters since, like, the late 70s. Yes, the deadliest yeah. nursing home fire since 1976. Right. It still holds, the, still holds that record, unfortunately. Right. But, yeah, I mean, she was playing with a lighter. So in, in Connecticut, a lot of these um, psychiatric, last of a better term, mental health patients end up in nursing homes. Um, and, uh, she, yeah, she was flicking a bick and uh, caught the curtain on fire, got into the oxygen and took out an entire wing of the nursing home. And uh, yeah, so we, we had, um, we had 10 fatalities. Uh, um, our system transported um, 16 that night. And then I think uh, it was more than that. It was 20. And then um, 23 total, we transported 20, uh, 16 total fatalities by the end of the, when all said and was done, but we, we had a makeshift more kind of set up to try to, kind of deal with it uh yeah there were there were a lot of um a lot of things that um that came out of that particular call and i think the most important thing for me before we we talk about it is that the six if there were successes it had nothing to do with me i was a mess okay and um it just happened that at night the cream of the crop worked uh, the guys that have been there forever mm-hmm. and um if anything i got in their way and there, there's one conversation in particular that, that I'll mention. But it, what's really weird about this call, and I, I also have to make sure you guys know. So uh, the city of Hartford, uh, AMR, got slapped with a, um antitrust suit. So we had to give up 40% of the city of Hartford. So um, Park Street runs 60-40 of the city. Uh, Greenwood Nursing Home is directly on the um, competitor side at the ambulance. Um, so at, that was technically Aetna scene, and it gets into it, some weird things occurred, which ended up putting me directly where this incident was occurring, and really gets into uh, communication, span of control, and, and stuff like that. But so be, before I talk about anything, I think it's really important to recognize that Aetna ambulance that was Aetna ambulance's call, right? And um, Adam was the supervisor that night. Him and I knew each other for a long time, and Jim Garrow was their director who ended up showing up uh, pretty early into it as well. Um, and uh, that the medics that worked that night are the reason why lives were saved, not because of some... Uh, not because of me. Right. <laughs> but, you know, so it, it the actual call was about 2.50 in the morning, and um, AMR was going through a really kind of tough time. So we were... We, we we had more scheduled calls that day in the morning than we had trucks 
and then we had all the 911 volume that we were supposed to deal with. We had contracts with um, the city of Hartford metro areas all around it, West Hartford, Windsor, Bloomfield, Newington. So we had all these trucks. That, so was that calls that were scheduled coming up like yeah, after 2 yeah, a.m. or you're both. saying or from the day before? No, 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 no. So no. you had a, you had so a busy day we, already we knew, scheduled. Right, right. Okay. They're all dialysis transfers. All right. Dialysis was bread and butter. Gotcha. So at, starting at about 5 in the morning, we had more calls, more scheduled calls on a, on a, than we would have scheduled trucks. Okay. So we were running that low. Um, and then, you know, we, we were, we had to commit a minimum of six trucks to the city of Hartford just for that 40%. And that didn't even include all the other surrounding areas, but the one saving grace, which pulls into how we pulled it off was that AMR controlled like 20% of this, of Connecticut. And as a supervisor, I was in charge of half of, of that area. So we could pull from the North and the South. And that's how we ended up with like AMR had, um, over 20 trucks on that, that call within, within an hour. Because we pulled them from uh, West Hartford, Waterbury, Enfield, uh, Bridgeport, New Haven. Right. Literally, I we this was when Nextels were cool. Uh, I, I remember those yeah. days. <laughs> so, uh, but let me. I'll, I'll take a step back because it's weird because you know the call went out as a box alarm, which just means it was a residential pull station, um, which we get all the time. And but for some stupid reason, it, it felt different. Mm-hmm. There was nothing different about it. it. It's a standard three engines, two ladders, the tack in a district to a box alarm. At two fifty in the morning. So when you say that, just to interrupt you for a little bit, how long were you in EMS before this call? How many years were you practicing? Uh, so that was probably so it's two thousand and three. I started in ninety four. So okay. uh, what, what, nine years. Okay. So all right, and it, medic for a couple, still, supervisor for a year, and you get that. Yeah, six or seven you, oh, dude, cents about absolutely. It. That it, there's so much because this isn't the only notable call. It, so many of these calls went well, and, and you knew. You just got this feeling that something didn't feel right. right. I had just backed up a truck on a violent site, and we had transported him to a, an outline. It's outline. It's, 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 it, it's really north in Hartford, Mount Sinai Hospital. And, and I had backed that truck up um, and you know dropped him off. And I'm pulling out, and I hear the, the tones drop uh, for the fire department at 250. And, and something just didn't feel right. So I, I actually – I had come out of – Mount Sinai had taken a right. I was going to come down tower and jump on the highway. And instead I loop, I just did a quick UE and I took a left and I just started heading that way. Something didn't feel right. And we had a truck that got off at three o'clock in the morning. And I, I picked up the next L and I called both the truck and dispatch. And I said, I want you to hold that car. <laughs> That's another thing. I don't know why I called them cars, but I said, I want you to hold that car. Right. So don't let them go home, keep them in their truck. And, um, Started and once again, no, no radio traffic, no nothing. This isn't even my area. This is right over the line, right? Literally, the yellow line is the nursing home. Right. So I'm just heading that way, and then you know something's not feeling right. right. Still nothing over the radio yet, and something's not feeling right. So once again, get up on the the next tell, and I'm just like, you know what? Wake up the couple Enfield trucks. They're they're 45 minutes north of us. I said I want them sliding down here, and I want the truck in West Hartford sliding up towards the city. I don't know why. I have no clue. So we, we, we you pull up, and uh, the MCI kit was this huge Rubbermaid container, this big ass fucking Rubbermaid container, you know. And uh, and I noticed that the engine had laid in supply line. Right. Still, once again, I'm not hearing much. Right. You know, but I noticed a charged supply line. That's out of place. I'm like that. Right. Right. We're missing something now. Right. So I'm like, some something's not correct. And Etna had already gotten there. So I I left my truck 
um, because I didn't want to clog up green, the street to get to Greenwood is really tight and there's cars already parked on it. And then there's the supply line. I needed to make sure that if anything happened, I could get an ambulance in there. So I parked and walk a you know quarter of a mile up there and it's six degrees outside. Right. I, I have nothing but um, uh, one of those um, military commando sweaters. Ah, okay. You know, it was gotcha. written into our contract what we were allowed to right, wear. Right, so, right. The, the, you know, the ribbed. Yep. So I had a long sleeve shirt, a turtle, uh, either a tie or a turtleneck was required in this um, this military kind of commando, commando sweater, 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 sweater. Right. So you, you walk up to the, the center. There's no smoke. There's no fire. But now all I'm hearing is is chaos on the fire frequency. Right. Uh, second alarm, third alarm. They're, they're like, we have patients everywhere. But I see no smoke, you're no like, fire. Am I at the right place? Right. And I'm <laughs> staring at it, and it's eerily quiet. Right. So you, I walk around to the right to where the ambulance entrance is, and there's the Aetna supervisor who had gone up on CMED, which is our central communication. They had already declared a mass casualty. Right. But there's no patients. Right. And we're standing inside the nursing home. I don't even smell smoke. Right. It's well lit. It, it's It's warm. And I'm listening to the fire frequency, and it's going crazy. And I'm looking at Adam, um, and I'm like, "What? What's going on? What? What? We're missing something. Right? That, that it's it's eerily quiet, but the fire frequency is going bullshit. So I come out and I walk around, and I come to the back where the fire had come through. Right. They had knocked out the fire. I didn't know this yet. I come around the corner, and um, I see him break out a window. And they throw a mattress out. And then body after body after body gets thrown onto this mat. I mean, it's just, I'm standing there watching this. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like. Oh, this is the call. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Right. No, no. I'm like, I'm I'm starting to shake now remembering this. Like, I'm (laughs) staring at bodies being thrown into a snowbank on a mattress. And so what ended up happening was um, when you came down. Uh, the hall that was burned. It ended um, by six feet above the ground. And there was enough of a ramp at the end for a wheelchair. It was a 90 degree ramp. Right. So you open the door, you could get a wheelchair or a stretcher folded. And then you would take a sharp right and come down that six foot kind of thing. What it ended up happening is they knocked the fire down fast. Right. But they had, these rooms were not one or twoers. They were like four patients in each you room. You know, you don't see that anymore, No, no, right? you don't. That's it, weird. I tell right. people about rooms like that. They're like, right. the, no. I the, was like, yeah. the, yes. State right. run ones? Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you're not, we're not talking a couple people. Yeah. We're, we're talking beds and, and every single person is bed confined. Yep. It's six degrees. It's three o'clock in the morning and a fire just ripped through an entire wing of this nursing home. So um, what ended up happening was they were pushing all the beds into the hall to try to evacuate them. Mm-hmm. They got one bed out and then jammed the whole hallway right. up. So the only thing that they could think left to do was to break windows and throw them out on snowbanks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I pick up the next cell and I call uh, dispatch and I'm like, and <laughs> I don't remember exactly what I said, but it, it, the response I got back was, you need to calm down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so <laughs> the dispatcher comes back and says, you need to calm down. And I remember my answer is, don't fucking tell me to calm down. I'm watching bodies being thrown into a snowbank. And that's then there's the, this, the beauty of next time. There's, there's this quiet, like, and then he comes back. He goes, what do you need? And I remember him saying, everything. Yeah, the Just world. Just give me 
everything. Send me the world. And I want, you know, I forgot what level it, it means, but we had a bunch of levels. And I said, I need you to send off a level one, I think is what it is. And it's like 30 plus patients. And that, that automatically gets you senior management, a bunch of other things. And, but then, you know, part of me kind of kicked in where I was like, from now on, every truck comes in here, um, you know, code three, every single one of them comes in code three. We're going to alternate hospitals. They're going to leave code three and they're going to come right back. I don't want any, anything else. Everything gets stacked. Like you are literally bringing a truck in here on lights and sirens. They're going to get a patient. We're going to alternate between the two trauma centers and we're just going to do this kind of simply. Right. And, um, trucks started showing up. Um, they would drive down Greenwood and they knew where that, ner- that, um, I, I, I forgot what wing that was like wing eight or whatever it is. They happen to know. So I just, you know, I need them all here. So y- these trucks would come and they would be like, well, should we do triage? And I'm like, fuck triage. They're all red. Yeah. It's time to go. Every single one of them yeah. is red. I need you to pick one up, put them in the back of your ambulance, drive. And I literally, it's like, as you pulled in, you go to St. Francis, you go to Hartford, you right. go to St. Francis, you go to Hartford. And it was like this. Well, so it, it didn't feel to me like things were moving correctly. And um, I had some freelancing starting to go on. And uh, and I, I kept getting bodies kind of stacked and the fire department was starting to get in my face. They're like, what do you need us to do? And I was like, I need you to cut that metal, <laughs> get that fence down so you guys can just start pulling these stretchers off. Right. And, you know, getting getting them out. I, I Don't stop throwing them in snowbanks, <laughs> you know. And then, you know, know, they're like, well, we got these bodies that are burned. What do we do with them? And and it was just, I was starting to get completely overwhelmed. And um, there's a a medic who I owe an enormous amount to. It was Mike Carl. And he literally grabs me by the collars because he's a street medic. And he literally grabs me by the shirt. He goes, you got to get shit done. Right. He's like, you have to do this. I'm going to take that patient and I'm going to go to Hartford Hospital. You have to figure this shit out. I mean, like he, he was like this, it's time, big boy, put on your fucking big boy shoes. Put the paramedic pants on and paramedic. And and get this shit done. Like he's like, there is no excuse for what you're doing right now. Fix it. You know, and it snapped me into gear and we just, we started developing a system and, and this wasn't right. This wasn't the right thing. And at the time it made sense. And I had a crew come up. And they start pressing me. They're like, we've got dead bodies. And I'm like, well, I got to get dead bodies off of people's minds. Right. I was like, this is not the first. This isn't the second. This isn't the third. So I was like, I need you to set up a makeshift morgue on the opposite side. Right. I just want, if they are dead, I want them over there. I want them covered. And um, so I lost an entire truck to doing nothing more than finding corpses and moving them. Shifting people around. Right. Bad, bad decision. Right. I remember this one guy, he was demented. Um, he was in a wheelchair. He wasn't injured, but he kept trying to wheel himself. I, I shouldn't say this. I'm, I'm not going to tell you what I did. All right. Though. But I kept seeing him. He kept wheeling himself back into the fu- the fucking fire. Like, right. you know, I'm, I'd run over there and pull him back out and I would see him scooting back in. Let's just say I disabled his wheelchair and his ability saying, to move. Throw, throw a I, stick I, in between I, the wheels I, there. It was a little bit more. A little more um, than that. It was a little bit a little more, more permanent. That. It was a little bit more permanent. <laughs> <laughs> but he wasn't getting back into that damn The situation building. was mitigated. The situation was mitigated. Outstanding. Right. And, you know, so we just started shuffling. And then I had another really incredible car um, crew show up. Uh, it was, it, it was uh, Jack Gartley and Christine Ames, two people who I admire more than virtually anybody in EMS. And they were really upset. And I'm like, "What? why are you upset? And they're like, we're holding 911 calls. We had a pedestrian struck on Park Street. We took it. I'm like, why are you upset? 
And they're like, because we're under strict orders to do nothing but come here. I said, holy fuck, thank you so much for doing that. I was like, I can't believe I, I, I had stripped the city of Hartford. Right. The, the dispatch, everybody. So what, what ended up happening was, you know, in, in, in Hartford, um, at the time you signed on. Right. So you, you got, you know, you're, you work for AMR, you jump in your truck and then they go, okay, we want you to sign on with HPD, go to area 10. So you would sign on, you would come up and you'd be like 921, you know, uh, uh, Hartford 929, you know, for sign on. They're like, go ahead. And you'd be like, it's paramedic unit till 1800, you know, cert 95602-9207. They'd be like, okay, what area? Area 10. So you had two radios. Right. And then if a call came in in area 10, HPD gave it to you. Right. And you were like, all right, we're in route. Cool, and then route. you would come over on the company radio and say, HPD hey, just gave us a call. Right. right. And they'd be like, okay. And then we'd clear up. Pull you, out of the, pull you out of the rotation until right, you were on the call. Right, 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 right. Exactly. So you, we pulled every resource off of it. There was nobody signed on on both sides. <laughs> and they're just literally the dispatchers coming over the radio going, I need a truck. I, we have a kid hit by a car on Park right. Street. Who's going to go to this? And um, luckily, they just – these guys had been doing it for so long. They're like, fuck it. We, we, let's have, go. we have to do right. it. So they signed on, took the call. They were afraid I was going to be mad at them. But it, once again, it was just this reality of how in touch right. with reality that I was. You know, I stopped doing 911 calls in the city. You you can't do that. So we finally kind of like decompressed the scene and I am cold as shit. Like my fingers don't move anymore. Right. I'm like slurring my speech and everything is done. Right. We're, we're done. We're gone. And I finally realized like, hey, where's everybody else? Like when I showed up here two hours ago – there was another ambulance and another supervisor like, where the fuck are they? Right. Right. So I walked back over there into the warmth and they had set up this mock triage inside where everybody, every, all 120 patients had been evacuated right. into six degree weather. The fire chief, luckily, when he got there, um, did a 360 and said, you got to get these guys back into the building. The fire has been mitigated. We have wings that people can go back into. Right. So they had set up this little triage and up to that point. They only transported one person. Mm -hmm. I had just transported 16. Right. Or actually like 20, you know, with six trucks, you know, the same fucking six trucks. How long did it take you to get everybody off the scene? Like for all your patients transported? So I, I think it was less than 90 minutes from awesome. the time I got on scene to the time the last patient. Um, it was, uh, it, 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 it was not much. Um, so yeah, I got on scene at like three o'clock in the morning, the first the first truck that went was like at three fifteen, and that went to that went to the hospital at three fifteen, and I I think by four o'clock in the morning we were done. Awesome. Um, all the criticals. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at my notes. I still have my notes. At four oh nine, the last critical patient was taken. Four oh nine. At four oh nine. Okay. And I got on scene at three o'clock. So now you, as the the incident the medical incident commander for this, did you have? all the other ICS stuff in place? Did you have no. a staging officer? No. Did you no. have somebody calling the hospitals? No. It was just you. Right. You coordinating yeah. the, the the ultimate triage, packaging, right. and movement of right. all these patients. Right. Yep. Everything. Okay. But now, hold on, because it's important. So I got destroyed over this. Um, okay. Because I, I set up no incident command structure. But what was even worse was that um, Aetna had set up the appropriate channels. Oh. Now... Right. Now, this gets into – I'm going to tell you when I realized I really fucked up. So um, it, so I was doing everything. Um, uh, they had 
brought in their trucks and had set up a system that I had no idea. We couldn't communicate to each other. Uh, they had come in on CMED and declared a mass casualty. They believed they had 50 patients and they requested a bunch of trucks. And, you know, they asked for a bed count at the local hospitals. To me, I'm a very operational kind of guy. This wasn't my first large scale incident. Right. We, we had done these, we had civil unrest on a routine basis. I mean, <laughs> you could go Google, Google and seriously, it, what's, it's hysterical, but Google Dave Matthews band um, Hartford, Connecticut, civil unrest. I mean, CNN, Rolling Stone. I mean, Dave Matthews Band lit the city of Hartford on fire right. multiple years in a row. This wasn't the first time we handled something like this. Right. It was just not to this where they're all sick, they're all bed confined, they're all burned, they all have smoke inhalation. So um, I remember, so about five o'clock in the morning, the scene kind of decompresses. Mm -hmm. And I walk back out to Greenwood uh, to get to my truck. And I get out there and on Park Street, there's a line of 15, 20 ambulances that Aetna and CMET had brought in. Right. And they're all lined there perfectly. All in a line. Just like the, the playbook officer, says. Just like the playbook says, right. smoking, smoking and drinking coffee. And I'm standing there and I'm looking at this fucking line of trucks. And all I did was use the same six trucks. I have, I have my notes. Uh, I was taking notes that night, like who was going where. Right. And I used the same six trucks right. to transport all those patients. They were coming in. Not once did anybody ever say, Hey, hey there's twenty trucks. We're driving there. by all these twenty trucks. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I whether I don't know when they got there, I don't know if they're just getting to the grind, but these guys, they just this is not new to them. They, yeah. they had their head down. They drive in, they come in, they take a patient, they get told what hospital they're going to, they drive, they drop right. off the patient, they come right back. And they're gonna do that until the call stops. Right. But I'm staring at this line of ambulances and I'm like, I really fucked up. Right. Like I fucked up a whole lot. I stripped an entire city. I stripped an entire state of resources. I used the same six trucks. I didn't set up an ICS system. But then at the end of the day, when you look at it, in in about a 60-minute period with no training, right? I transported, we transported the, right, the right patients to the right place with the right, right mode for right. the right treatment. Right. And, and I think anybody enough, in their right yeah, mind right. is going to rationalize right. it with no problem right. with right. that. And even to the point where... Um, I could, you know, we, I, I was assigning the non-priorities to the farther away hospitals. Right. I was not giving St. Francis and Hartford anything but criticals. They were getting eight to 10 criticals a piece. So if you weren't critical, you stayed there and these weren't the nursing home patients. These right. were ancillary staff that tried to help or, um, staff. So we would have gone to Greenwood nursing home three times that night for CHF anyway. Right. So we had those right. patients as well. Right. Right. So those patients they, we took them to the outlying facilities. And then we had another small, I would call mini kind of lack of a better term, MCI, because now they all had to go to a burn center. Right. So we took all these patients, stabilized them at St. Francis and Hartford, but then they all had to go to Bridgeport. Coordinating the interfacility right, transports right, on right, again. Right. It's not that you did. It's not that you had a little couple hiccups on an MCI. You had an MCI in bad weather. Well, cold weather, so an environmental factor. It's not just that. You had an MCI with a special population. Yes. Okay. Right. Right. None with of them are ambulatory. Tons of them have comorbid <laughs> right. comorbidities with them <laughs> right. and right. they're elderly. Right. Uh, right. Or, you know, they're they're uh, they have mental illnesses. Right. And none of them can provide you information. Correct. You don't know what their baseline is, you don't know their medical history. Right. You half of them were had trachs. This was a trach wing. Mm -hmm. That's why there was oxygen there. Right. So half of them had had soot around their trachs. Uh, it was because we teach you all about that in class. Right. 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 Yeah. You can't. You have by definition no greens. Nobody is ambulatory. Right. You. You. They're all bed confined. You know. It was. It. it, it 
the totality of it, when you think back, is just, it, it's immense. Right. And it could have been a lot worse. It could have been 10 times worse. Right. And the only reason why it wasn't worse is because, you know, Hartford Fire was a lot of fun to watch. Right. These these were guys that went to work. They right. fought fire. They were good at it. And they saved a whole shit ton of people right. by not letting that fire spread. And, um, you know, and the only reason why some of these patients survived is because of you had amazing experienced paramedics that don't need a supervisor. Right. They don't need a supervisor. Just go look for work, do their thing. They do their work. Absolutely. They do it well. They clear the hospital because that's what they signed up for. Right. They, they are true paramedics. They are true EMS people. Street medic. That, yeah, dude. That, it was it was impressive to watch them on calls, and I'm thankful beyond belief that they were on that night. And do I think it could go this well today with the staffing? No. Those, those guys... They're they're not on frontline trucks anymore. Yeah, call them out of retirement. Man, hey, so, come in. I just need you for another hour. Yeah, just can you guys come in for an hour? hour? It's easier to run this right. quick MCI. Yeah, and you know, no hesitation by any of these guys. None of them were out of their league. Anybody would have turned that corner and saw what we saw would have been stopped. Right, like just stopped in their tracks. Like, what are we dealing with? It's like a plane crash. It's a metaphorical plane crash. Mm -hmm. You know, it's something you never see. And these guys, it didn't phase them at all. They were like, let's get to work. <laughs> you know, we are doing work. Right. <laughs> what you signed up for. Right. Was, all right. So you warm, did you warm up? Did you get to warm up? Did your hands start to work? So I got really sick. <laughs> <laughs> I was sick for uh, about a week and a half afterwards. Okay. Um, but uh, I think the hardest thing was just going home. Was you know it, you you show up your relief is there and they're just like i mean there's 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 no there's no work left to do nope. you're you just you drive back up to yeah. the station and they're just like sounds like you had a crazy night and you're yeah. like yep they're like what well, we got it enjoy you your two days off you, you feel the truck on the way back in <laughs> am i down right. am i down anything right yeah that's exactly what it was yeah. it, he was just like hey you know uh, you know you had a couple book offs last night <laughs> <laughs> like well like, <laughs> yeah, I really want to tell you about it, but you don't seem interested. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, no, that's literally right. business what, as usual. What, what it was like, right? And then by then, all the heavy hitters are there that are working out the logistics of getting people to the burn center yep. and how they're going to evacuate the rest of yep. this nursing home and who's getting what business. And you know, so by then, literally, um, you know, the senior supervisor got on scene and looked at me and said, we're all good. You can yeah, leave Yeah, we're now. good. You can go. That's, no, that, yeah, we got he, it. He didn't mean it. And there, that, there no, was no just disrespect. Your part's over. My part's yeah, over. You've, thank right? you. And you're left standing there kind of yeah. like just – and, you know, you see CNN. All the news crews were there. Like the international news is there. The whole thing's a, a crime scene. Uh -huh. and, and you're just like walking back and you're just dejected. You're cold. You're tired. You're dejected. You, you know, like nobody says, hey, you know – that wasn't bad. Yeah. All I can think about as I walk back to my truck is like Mike Carl yelling at me, telling me that I was a fucking idiot and right. I had to get my head out of my ass right. and get to work. I should go home and read the ICS book yeah. again. <laughs> when can I go to another right. Con Ed course? When, when, when should I learn this? I need to get back to this. I need to redo 300 and 400. Right. But then back at the end of the day, it's like it doesn't matter how many ICS classes you go to. There's a certain amount of instinct to know right. that something didn't feel right. Right. And that we're going to alternate truck. We're going to 
alternate right. hospitals and we're going to we're going to do our job we're going to you know no drama no we're going to do we're going to do this very quick kind of reactionary ICS system it, it, it's a joke to call myself incident command because I was in command of nothing <laughs> right it, it was it was me and Nextel on a radio right. and the same six trucks and and it and it got done right you know but so what what were you you warmed up you got you're you're sick for a week and a half you got plenty of time to think lessons learned what do, what do you, what do you got for like your top three so um, the the first thing that I did was um, I got rid of the uh, Rubbermaid box <laughs> no I'm, I'm sorry right so I I made paperwork mm-hmm. um, I grabbed a uh, an old um, oxygen bag threw everything out um, and made uh, sheets uh, that I could uh, keep track of hospitals bed counts. Um, names, stuff like that. So, and then um, uh, once something that I learned, um, which, which all of you know now, is you have to use pencils, right? Because pens in rain, cold, don't work, right? And I can sharpen a pencil, right? So I filled the damn thing with pencils and a pencil sharpener, a couple flashlights, a, a bank of radios with no batteries. And um, wh- what I would do is, um, any before I got into my truck the night, the day before, I would grab a handful of batteries out of the charger. Right. So I had this bag that I could throw on my shoulder that had all my stuff that I would need. No, no tarps, no nothing. It was literally a vest, four clipboards, a bunch of paperwork that I designed myself, pencils and a flashlight right. and a pair of gloves. No longer tied to the vehicle, right. mobile right. command board. Right. right, right. Nothing. None of that right. bullshit. It was this – what I realized is that you have to be able to think fast. You right. have to move. And so I actually put it to use like a couple of weeks later, we, um, I, I went into, so we got called to back up the Waterbury area on a bad structure fire where they had like, um, six significant, um, injuries. And, um, you know, I show up and the, 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 uh, supervisor for Waterbury was there and he's, he's over his, his, you know, he's taxed, but I got my bag on and I pull my bag off and I grab my clipboard and I'm like, how many patients do you have? He's like six. What trucks do you have here? He goes, I don't know. I pick up the next tell, like next tell the Waterbury supervisor. I go, this is Aaron. How many, what trucks do you have? He's like, you have 385, 364, 412. I just write them down. Start right, right, right. Start penciling. He's watching me. I'm like, okay, well, who's here on scene already? And they're like, such, such, such. Where are your critical patients? He's like, right there. I was like, okay, what's the best access where you don't have? Like I drew a really quick like scene yep. of, you know, here's the building. Here's the street. What street is behind it? I can see it. You know, oh, that's Watertown. And I wrote Watertown. I said, it's all right. So really quickly, come right over on the Waterbury frequency. I don't want anybody coming on any state on any road other than Waterbury. You guys are coming into the back end of this. You're going to park your truck with your, your nose facing f- forward. I want your oxygen bag, your, your, your uh, stretcher, and a bunch of blankets. Nothing else. Come. Right. You know, and as they came in, they got it. You're going to New Britain. You're going to John Connect Dempsey. Connect the dots. You're and going to Harvard Hospital. Right. He's watching me do this. And what was really funny, I'll, I won't forget this either, is that one of the medics started yelling at me. He's like, I am not taking this patient to Harvard Hospital. He goes, I'm going to New Britain General. And I looked out of my sheet. I said, you guys already transported five <laughs> patients to New Britain General. You are not taking another patient right. to New Britain General. And he's starting to argue with me. And I'm like, fine. You don't want to take them to Harvard Hospital. That's fine. But you're not taking them to New Britain General. I'm not going to have this argument right now where we still have people being thrown out of the building. Right. All right. Obviously, we're, we're having a failure to communicate. So would St. Francis be better for you? And it's like <laughs> he just needed a win. That's all he right, wanted. Right, right, right. right? He's like, I'll go to St. Francis. He's like, fine, go to St. Francis. Then I have two patients. Leave. Go. Right. (laughs) You know, and the supervisor comes the next day. He's like, what did you do? And I showed him. He's like, can I have one of these? (laughs) 
<laughs> so I print everything off. I tell them what to use and I kind of hand it to them. So I, I think the number one thing was that if you're going to do incident command, you, you can't be tied to your vehicle if you're right. EMS. You, you're going to have to be where the fire commander is. And, you know, in half these lessons, if anybody's listening to this who's works at like Durham or Wake or any of these places that practice stuff. On There's only basis. like six people who right. listen to this. <laughs> six people who listen to it. They're probably making two fun of me Two of them are right in this now. room. Yeah, two of them are in this room. Right. They're making fun of me. They're like, fuck you. You've never trained on this or yada, yada. But I think if you look at it, the vast majority of systems aren't training on it. They're not going to perform the way they're supposed to perform. So what are some basic things that you can do that if your butt is going to be the one that's going to be in command, you better have some things already pre-thought out. Where are your hospitals? Where are your landing zones? What are you going to do? Have that stuff written down and have it easily accessible. I have a go bag. It, as stupid as that sounds, if it's a bad call, I'm pulling my go bag. Right. And in that is the paperwork that I need and the checklist that I need and the batteries that I need to run multiple radios so I can listen to multiple frequencies. And then I will find the incident commander right. to sit next to. But if you don't go in with that and develop those connections but i think you have to be honest with yourself you know if you're not training and you're not developing these relationships then you better think of it this way you know um the the second is you you you, you, you got to think these things through you should game it all you the time to, you should game time. it all the time right. it's you know it was my mindset when i drove into work when I drove into work, when I put my uniform on and I drove into work, it's funny. We listened to the same kind of music, old school rap. <laughs> but, you know, it, what I did the whole time into work is I would, I would think of all of the stupidest, dumbest things that could happen that day and how I would handle it. Right. I had employees get into fistfights. I had an employee show up drunk. I had an employee quit on the job and try to commit suicide. Um, uh, right. It, and, and so every time – and those were all legitimate things that happened to me. So as I drove into work, all I would do is think. If I had an employee come in today drunk, what are my steps of dealing with it? it? Right. I get a complaint. How am I going to handle it? If the nursing home catches on fire, if I have a bus wreck on 85, if I, uh, you know, and you would just think of these things and you would troubleshoot them in your head. So it's almost like simulation. You're just playing mind games. Right. That's what you're doing. And and again, though, that scientifically, we know that that's actually good. And you look yeah. at a lot of uh, athlete performance stuff and that visualization and gamification, yeah. it absolutely contributes. Right. It, right. You know, it's got limitations, but it absolutely it, it, contributes right. to success. Right. It's not the first time yeah. that you've thought it through. Right. And the second thing is bad shit's going to happen sometimes when you walk in the door. Right. This was eight hours into my shift, right. but the amount of bad shit I got handed the second I walked in, if your mind is not set when you hit the door – that how I mean you need you're time already to, behind you're already behind I'm ready to hit the door right. so when I hit the door and somebody goes you had six people book off you're holding a two sheets worth of calls and oh by the way an officer just got shot right and you have a BLS truck going I'm I'm ready right. I grab the schedule book I grab my go bag I and I'm in my I'm in my car and I'm or I'm in my uh, fly car right and I'm headed to back way. up that BLS yep. truck and on the way I'm hitting up my Nextel going do I have a to the dispatcher do I have a critical opening in a contract town that costs me a thousand dollars an hour I don't have anybody right. they're like yes well then I need you to find me a paramedic that's going off duty and get them over there 
just it pays a lot of money. It pays more, right? So it's just multitasking. But if you get hit with that the second you walk in the door and you, you're you all you've been thinking about is French fries and porn, <laughs> you're, you know, you're fucked. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I agree. And I think it's really weird as I think coming from a system like that. And again, people can say what they want about AMR. I'm well aware of AMR operations being involved with them in a third service and, and uh, back in the day in Wilmington, Delaware. Um I understand the contractual stuff. I understand that that is a business. And I probably, if I go dig through some Tupperware bins, I have all the a lot of the old AMR operations manuals mm-hmm. from the, the yeah. late 90s. Yeah. That stuff is spelled out. It's spelled it out for a reason. Right. It's spelled out. And I think it's – and the professional development. And again, not working for AMR uh, personally, but to see how the professional development was for their field supervisors right. – that was ingrained, like that operational flexibility was ingrained. So even if you, I think to get that job, you had to be a certain type of person and to be able to function in that job. And it, I think it's like anywhere. You, right. Some people are better at it than others. Right. Some people can be taught. Other people have natural right. have natural ability. And then other people just don't get it. They don't get it. Um, right. And they don't get it and they don't put it, they don't put in the work. And then they get to that nursing home fire and they shut down. And other people get to that nursing home fire, have gamed it, have thought about it. Again, we're kind of, we have weird, we're EMS. We have weird game things in our head to begin with. And like, oh, what if it was a plane crash into nuns right. and hemophiliacs? No, what would I do? But that's it. Right. right. You know, as strange as it would be. I mean, I remember doing third service, talking to my partner. We'd sit on a wait and return. Guys would be up on a scaffolding outside the hospital. I'd look at her. I'd be like, Shelly, what happens if two of those dudes right. fell right now? She's right. like, I'd go to the bathroom. Right. I was like, well, I'd be doing triage. Right. You know, I'm the right. big whacker. What are right. you doing? <laughs> right. I, I mean, I walked in one day and literally I, I came in an hour early. Uh, I I actually enjoyed my job that much. It was extraordinarily stressful, but I worked nights. I got in an hour early and I'm sitting at the desk and the next hole goes off and it's dispatch and like we have three cops shot on hillside avenue which is like two blocks from here and and it's like my brain just goes wait where and he starts he's just in frustrating because he's a hillside avenue i have trucks on the way and you know everybody would laugh at this now they're, they're like what the fuck would be wrong with you but dude we rolled in and they're still exchanging fire right and they're dragging officers and it's literally i see a truck pull up and I see cops dragging a co- another cop, and I'm like, get him in the fucking truck. That's my That's, guy. You put him in that truck, right. right? And then another truck pulls up, and I'm like, where's your other guy? He's like, he's down here. And they got fucking, dude, dude, they were running around with fucking ammo boxes. Like, you know, and, and I'm with them. I'm like, I grabbed my fucking bag, and I'm like, where's this cop? And I've got three guys with their guns drawn. I'm against the wall, and they're providing cover for me. Right. And we dive into a fucking apartment. Right. And there's casings everywhere. I mean, I'm not even thinking about it. Right. And there's a cop down and there's a bad guy down. And we grab a cop. We just start fucking pulling. We throw him in the back of a truck. I miss <laughs> uh, I miss the days of not thinking in EMS. Right. It's I mean, a lot more. People would people would crucify us. Yeah. Right. You wouldn't now. have a job tomorrow. Right. Like yeah. what what is wrong? It, there was no thought. I threw that truck in park when I saw that cop being. There was no there was no hesitation. There was no, no nothing. It was it was just. Cops are down. They're in there. They're still exchanging fire. Fuck it. We're Let's going. Let's go help that guy. Right. And not a single crew that showed up thought any differently. There was no staging. They action parked that fucking truck to the front, <laughs> dude. They're like, fine, take fire. And right. they're, they're running out. They're it's grabbing that truck. cop. They're taking off and they're driving to the hospital like their fucking hair is on fire. So this is this will be a loaded question. 
So is that is that unmarried with no kids, Aaron, at the time? That was married. All right, married. So one person <laughs> wants you to come home. One person may depend on you to come home. Uh, how about now? I, so uh, she's not going to listen to this. I'd still do it. it you know, I think would it's... You, I, no question in my mind that you would still do it. But would you do it any more calculated? So I think I, I, th- I want to say that it was still calculated. Okay. I, you, you know what I mean? I, I think a lot of it, uh, any of us who have been doing it for any length of time are good at it. And I'm not saying that I am good at it. it it's, it, I think it was more calculated. I think there was a risk to benefit ratio. I, I think we had already been in environments like that. Right. It, I felt like the officers were providing safety. Right. You know, and how is that any different than any of us knocking on the door of a diabetic that then has a glucose attendant fires through the door. No different right. whatsoever. If your time is up, your time is up. Right. We have all decided if we are going to do this, that we are willing to trade our lives for others. Right. It, and it, you just do it in a calculated risk. And, and it's not that I want to die. That's not the point. But holy fuck, does anybody – look at trash collect. We're not even close <laughs> to being – right. We're not even close to being the most dangerous job. Right. A poor guy got run over by a trash truck in Greenville recently doing his job. You think anybody batted a fucking eye right. that that poor guy didn't go home to his family? Right. Is his job any less important than mine? No. It, it, but all. then somehow I have to take unrealistic protective measures. Right. It, it's just there's no line of garbage trucks for this poor guy to at his burial. But they're also not in garbage truck guy school telling you on the second page of the EMT handbook, if you get hurt, you can't help <laughs> right. anybody else. Right, right. So yeah, no, no, again, I, I, it's, I'm you know, we you. still – and I right. think we're fighting that We're right now. Again, right. me and initial education right now, I fight that dogma daily. Right. Daily. It, you know, and, and it's there's a there's a phenomenal video. It's by Mike uh, Mike Rowe. It's um, a minute and a half long, and it's called Safety Third. He's doing an interview on CNN. It's my favorite thing. And at the end of it, it you know, I won't, I, I don't want to ruin it. But at the end of it, he says, "I will put most, it in the show notes." The when most I find it. beautiful sentence you will ever hear. Just because you're in compliance doesn't mean that you're out of danger. Absolutely. So you can be dressed head to toe in BSI and still die. So it's it's just I think we were more calculated. It's we weren't running around doing things dangerously. Right. I think it's just we are now way too we have pushed the pendulum so far to the other direction. I don't want a stage for a combative diabetic or a combative seizure or a psych patient because the, we are the experts in that. Yeah. I don't need them tased. I don't need them clubbed. I need an extra set of hands to hold them still so I can treat them like the medical patient that they are. Correct. I'm staging at a nursing home for for a violent dementia patient. Right. I don't want a cop dealing with that. No offense. That's my job. Right. And when you read the notes on your MDT, it's, right. you're like, oh, sundowner syndrome. I got right. this from the I truck. We'll take right. care of it. Right. right. I know what to right. say. I know what to do. Right. And then half the time they're in a wheelchair. Yeah. And the staff's like, oh, he's violent. He's unmanageable. He's in a wheelchair. Right. Walk away from yeah. him. Put the brake on yeah. and walk away from him. <laughs> Put one brake on and walk away. Then he just goes <laughs> and in a circle. he just circle. goes in circles, right. right. So I don't think we did anything dangerous per se. It's just what we would have done then if we did it now would be cons- would just be horrifically frowned upon. Right. And it, it's just I, – I And on YouTube in 10 minutes. Right. And then all the armchair quarterbacks claiming <laughs> that, you know, God, you know, what is wrong with you? Right. I mean, I think there's a difference between not wearing your fire PPE when you're putting out a car fire when there's no life in danger. Right. Or you have somebody who's firing shots and people are dying and you have the full ability to go in and help and you go, I'm going to wait. I got to wait. 
no. while you're bleeding. Right. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm not. I, I'm sorry. It, 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 you know, call me whatever name you want to call me. I'm not a Yahoo. I'm not a Sparky. It's a calculated, it's a calculated thing. But I decided like you, that if I get into that truck, that I am willing I know that I might not come home. Come home. Yeah, but oh, I know. You can do that on the highway driving to your desk job selling insurance. And I do that every day right. over the years. I hate right. driving on the highway. Right. I'm a great driver. Right. I hate driving the ambulance. I, I know other people aren't good drivers because I've run the calls. I've, I've, we've scraped people yeah. off of the, the guardrail, the, the Jersey Barrel, all of it. Uh, and there's that. I absolutely have anxiety. At 40 years old, I have anxiety when I get in the car. Like I don't, we drove to, we drove on vacation. We drove to Destin, Florida this year. Uh, I drove both ways. I wouldn't let my wife drive. <laughs> and it's not because she's a bad driver. Right. Like I may say she's a bad driver. I it's I don't like the lack of control. Yeah. And it's really weird. And, but again, when I drive, I take calculated risks. I, I right. am exhausted mm-hmm. when I get to a You're destination because I am so aware mm-hmm. right. of what's happening. Right. Uh, same on calls. Oh. It right, right. It, it I, I don't get it. You know, I got I got told to stage the other day for a cardiac arrest because it was a heroin overdose. So I'm like, he's dead. I'm not overdosing. Right, right. I'm like, I'm confused. Why am I staging for a cardiac arrest? That you already know the reversible cause. Right, right. It's an because <laughs> the answer was because it's an overdose. But he doesn't have a pulse. He's not breathing. A change is so, from overdose. <laughs> right. Why am I fighting? Why are you afraid of my safety? Yeah. Is somebody on scene violent? They're like, no. Okay. Well, I'm going in. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just like- Keep my backup coming. Let them know I'll be inside. Right. I don't understand the concept. They're dead. Yeah. Unless somebody is violent on that call. And in fact, it was the exact opposite. The family was actually doing CPR on him. And and, and the, the we got him away. So he turned out not to be a cardiac arrest. He turned to be just a heroin overdose. Mm-hmm. We gave him just enough heroin to get him breathing. And by the time I got him into the truck- I think you gave him just enough Narcan can. to get him yeah, breathing, what did I not say? heroin. heroin. Gave him just enough Narcan, sorry, to, to, <laughs> to get him medicine. breathing. Yeah, it's all medicine. <laughs> and we put some leeches on him. Yeah. So, you know, I gave him 0.5 of, of Narcan, carrying him out to the stretcher. The whole point is we never saw a cop. Right. They were never canceled. We never saw a cop. We were we were we really willing to stage for thirty minutes for a deputy to become available on a guy who's dead. We're, we've uh, why are we're we well this? aware of calls where <laughs> well, I I am well aware of at least three calls in the last fifteen years that have had less than favorable outcomes because of that. Yeah. Um. Uh. And I don't like it. And it was also moving here. It was not something I've was familiar with because up north when you you would show up to a call and you'd if you were lucky Dude. and the cop was there beforehand you'd meet him coming down Dude. the driveway and he's like he's in there yeah he's fine it's not a cop thing we got sent in lieu of police officers yeah. to see if an officer was still needed we would get sent flat out into domestics yeah we would get it as an unknown medical because they had no cops hartford would send us into we, forget stage for the police, are you fucking insane? Yeah, the absolutely police was go. actively sending us yeah. into calls that they knew were trying to were clear unsafe this off the board, so they could clear yeah. it off the board. Right, we got right. other things going on. Right. Yeah, no, right. I, I get it. I mean, Stage. the first time I saw a cop uh, in, uh, in fact, in State College, Pennsylvania, the first time I saw a cop do CPR, like I walked in 
on a cop doing CPR, I was like, what is, is happening that? here? Do you know that person? <laughs> and he's like counting. And I'm like, what, what's good? We're in a BLS truck with no medic, no medic. Yeah. Right. And he's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, I've been at it for like five minutes. I was like, uh, uh-huh. uh, did, did you shoot him? <laughs> Like, I don't understand why are the cops doing this. Why is this? there a cop here Yeah, why is the cop? Oh, you're doing a really good, good job. You're doing a great job. Um, I should be doing something. Like, it, and it stopped me. And I was like, man, if this, this was if this, this was outside of the suburbs of Philly, <laughs> they'd have been like, they'd have met you with the AED yeah. and said, you might need this. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think you need this. I think you need that. Yeah. I, I, got the, I got my own. Yeah. And now they have Narcan and Narcan and tourniquets. And, yeah. So they're saving lives. Um. Awesome. So, get better at MCI. What? Uh, not to go backwards. I think that's a fascinating story. Um, and I, I mean, I have a lot. I, I did a lot. I did a little research for that because I wanted to be able to speak intelligently. I've heard you talk about the, the nursing home story before. I know you presented it. I think the first year at the Swamp Rabbit Conference, and I obviously missed it. Of course, I was probably doing some. I don't blame you. It was awful. Rescue Task Force EMS, something <laughs> or other. Um, so again, the things that came out of that, there were no sprinklers in that building. Nope. It changed some building code. It did. Yep. Um, you know, the smoke was the big deal, not the fire. Right. Um, you had 10, 10 dead that night. Six died within the week related to the fire. Uh, you had age ranges from the 20s into their 80s. Yep. Uh, and looking up about the um, the accused arsonist, um, she was 23 at the time, uh, mental, mental health issues along with, uh, multiple sclerosis that she, you know, made her difficult to manage. So she was remanded to the state right. of Connecticut until 2013 when her MS advanced to the point where the state said, we can't take care of her anymore, whatever facility she was at. And they moved her to Rhode Island, I think it was. Um, but the, this the case has actually gone through the superior court and the U.S. Supreme Court, and it keeps getting held up. But um, the judge in the case they review her mental status every yep. year, uh, but he's refused to drop right. the sixteen arson murder charges right. just in case she regains competence and can stand trial, right. which most doctors have told him it's not going to happen. Right, but um. It's a highly charged. It was a highly charged event. Un unbelievable um, and fascinating to me. It sounds like you handled it like the rock star that I know you are. Yeah, so. I, I know. It was a learning experience, man. I mean, I don't yeah. think any of them go well. I don't think anybody can say that they go great. We look at enough of them on TV. We look at some of the 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 active shooter in the airport thing. Uh, I think it was at Fort Lauderdale a while oh, back. And, yeah. You know, we watch enough news now and go right. that didn't go as well as they thought they were going to go. Or you listen to it on Broadcastify, and you listen to it in real time, and you're like, whoa, sounds like you got your hands full. Um, all right, before we wrap it up, because, you know, I can't let any of the guests really go without some of the the arbitrary questions. You remember your first call? Yep. As an EMT? I do. What was it? So I'll tell you why I remember it, because I knocked the paramedic into the snowbank because I came out <laughs> of the side of the ambulance. I didn't realize he was coming, you know, so that he gets out of the passenger seat. I'm so excited. I nice. open up the side door and that side door of the truck catches him and throws his ass into a snowbank. Now, bag. is that, I, I know I said EMT. Is that EM, as, an, as a certified EMT or is that an Explorer call? So that was an Explorer call. That was an, everybody that's really weird. That was your first yeah. Explorer call? Yeah, that was the first, the first call in an ambulance. I remember exactly who it was. Awesome. I remember the crew that I was working with. None of them are there anymore. That's great. And it was a guy that shit himself. 
<laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, I'll never forget how angry that medic was. I uh, <laughs> and I ask that so I can tell mine, and it's because people that know me again, we know my old attitude in any events. But I'll give you what the this the first explorer call formed my understanding of ems mm-hmm. simple one car mvc into a utility pole not no no real damage okay uh middle-aged middle-aged lady it's a little shook up um but the car is undrivable because it wrecked the radiator okay. so we're pulled over we check her out she's fine but she she kind of she doesn't feel great she wants to go to the hospital but she doesn't want to go because she wants to call someone to pick her up because she's just been grocery shopping and is afraid her food is going to spoil. So <laughs> my rock star explorer post advisor slash ultimate paramedics forever, which again, young medics at the time, uh, were like, well, we'll put your groceries in our refrigerator. And I was like, we don't do that. It's for people in the ambulance. Duh. Don't worry about your groceries. She's obviously going to die. We got to take her to the hospital. (laughs) She's obviously going to die. Yeah, she's walking around. I don't (laughs) know nothing. I'm 15. What do I know? She's going to die. Yeah, you're going to die. The ambulance is for sick people. So we take her groceries. We put her in the ambulance. We take her to the hospital. We put our groceries in in the refrigerator in the paramedic unit. And she gets released. We give her groceries and she goes home. I, that was, that taught me everything I needed to know about EMS. That EMS is about the patient. That 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 was right. it was not my emergency. Right. It right. was no big deal. Right. We didn't snatch her from the jaws of death. Right. But we the whole the thing that helped her the most was refrigerating her groceries. Right. Uh, and so, again, you can look at the personnel file. It says Chris escalates <laughs> situations when he should de-escalate. He's <laughs> abrasive toward in certain situations. <laughs> I will be the first part, and I've caught a bunch of crap for it over the years. I can think of one call down here in particular where someone was speaking Spanish, and I was trying to speak Spanish, and my partner didn't want to try and speak Spanish. All this person wanted was to take their... It was I can't remember if it was a... It wasn't a shopping cart. It was something, maybe a wheelchair. Like they were just my partner was like, We're leaving it here. I was like, You can't leave their wheelchair here. And it wasn't even like their right. wheelchair. But I was like, We'll take your wheelchair if you'll go to the hospital. Take the wheelchair in loud English that they didn't understand. Put the wheelchair in the thing. I was like, dude, this is what this is all it's about right here. Take the wheelchair, take the patient, get to the hospital. So That's really funny. It's really weird that again, that would have been Gosh, 1992, <laughs> 10 years, 10 or 11 years in EMS, and it's still, it's still. Oh my God. Take guys, the wheelchair. Those, yeah, those guys taught me, you know, it's about refrigerating the groceries yeah, and taking the wheelchair. the wheelchair. That's right. right. So, it's problem solving. It is problem solving. It is this job. That's what we do. It is this job. So, I don't know. We've been going at it for a little while. I think we should wrap it up. I definitely want you to come back because I think, I think I got what I want people to get out of you recounting that call about the ICS stuff and not being awesome at it as awesome as you thought you were, <laughs> but learning to be awesome afterwards. Um, and the people you work with and the people that formed your 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 EMS expertise. So well maybe the two people who listen will get something out of it. No, we're the two people. There's we're four the two others. There's, there's four others. There's four others. <laughs> I I have it under good Good intelligence that there's at least four others. <laughs> so, all right, awesome. brother. Well, I appreciate you sitting down. Thanks and we're going to do me. it again. I have right. more questions about other topics that I know you'll want to talk about. Let's and do it's, it. And it's not just our extensive knowledge of East and West Coast rap beefs from the 90s. So, right. 
we'll uh, we'll do it. All right, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you.